Good morning, Rose Bauer. It's, it's always good to see all your smiling faces in God's house. Uh, we're all going to stand. We're going to begin singing in worship. Let's sing, We Have Come Into His House. Sing it again. sins away 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome to Rose Fire Baptist Church. I can truly say it's good to be here this morning. Good to see your faces. We've missed you and we're glad to be back. And we thank you for giving us this time away to rest and reflect and recuperate. And um, just, we're glad to be back. Um, our focus verse for August is found in Psalm 95, 6 through 8. And if you will, will you read it with me? <clears throat> Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So this week, a lot of our kids are going back to school. Um, a lot of our teachers and staff that work at the school are going back this week. And this morning, we want to spend a little bit of time in prayer for those kids and adults that are going to be working with the kids this school year. Um, if you're a student that starts back to school this week or in next week or soon, or a teacher or staff at a school, do you mind coming forward so that we can pray for you this morning and just get real close to the stage? Just in the next couple of weeks when you're, um, when you're praying, just remember these people, remember these kids, um, pray that, that God will keep a hedge of protection around them, and pray for the adults that are over them this year, that they'll be godly influences in their life, and let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this day, God, we thank you for everything you've given us, and we thank you for this place, God, we thank you that there's a time during the week that we can set aside to be together, God, and like the song that we sang earlier, forget about ourselves and magnify your name, God. And I pray this morning that you'll help us to do that. God, I pray for the people standing um, up here right now, God. I pray for this school year, God. I pray that um, it'll be a safe school year, that it'll be a year where we learn. Um, God, I pray for the students going back. I pray that you'll help them to have the right teacher, the teacher that you will for them to have, God. That's your plan, God. Um, I pray that you'll give them good friends, surround them by good Christian friends that can help hold them accountable and help them want to know you more. Um, I pray that you'll keep them safe um, on the bus, in the car, um, while they're in the building of the school, God, while they're playing sports. Just um, place your hand on them, God, and keep them safe. God, I pray for the adults. I pray for the teachers, um, for the secretaries, for all the people that work within the school. Um, I thank you that you place that calling on people's life. I thank you that there's still people that want to teach kids, even though teaching's not the easiest job, and it's not a job that you can lay down at the end of the day and go home and not worry about again until tomorrow. I thank you that you still give people the desire to do that, God. And I pray for these, um, these people, God. I pray that this year that um, you'll help them to be the adult that those kids need, that you'll help them to point them to Jesus, and that um, they'll be a good example in their speech and in their smiles and just everything about them, God will point others to you. I pray for our schools, for our administrators, God, and um, I just pray that you'll help this to be the best school year yet. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in worship. If y'all will stand, we're about to sing Waymaker. I love this song. It reminds me that no matter what we face in this world, in our individual lives, as a church, 
um, as your family, you know, we're in unprecedented times. I keep hearing that on the news. Unprecedented times with all the storms that are happening and just everything politically going on. You know, we just think, when will it stop? When it, you know, when is enough enough? Um, but as we sing the song, just hold fast and know that God is the way maker and that nothing surprises him. He is in control every day, every minute, every second. We can put our faith and trust in him and know that all things are going to work out the way that he has intended. So it may surprise us what happens. We may wake up tomorrow and it'd be crazy. But know that God is in control. So let's sing Waymaker.
Amen. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand and start to fall And all those lonely roads that I have traveled on And there was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be found And I couldn't see it then, but I could see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the search, in the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces
Church, all the kiddos for Children's Church. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. But as you are turning there, I do want to say it is a tremendous joy to be back with you this morning. So good to see your faces again, as Kendra had said. And there was only one person who said they were sad to see me back. But Neil Ward don't count, all right? So it is good to be back in God's house with God's people. I thank you for, uh, as a church, for allowing me to get away and to rest and reflect, to renew, to recharge. Um, thank you for allowing me to be with my family. We was able to go to L.A. for a little bit, uh, spend some time with just me and Kendra, and we spent some time as a family on, on trip traveling. We spent some time with just the Lord Jesus Christ and resting and reflecting and meditating upon his word in the book of Psalms, and it was so good, and I've got a ton I'd like to share with you about that and the books that I was able to read uh, and to learn from, uh, and we will hopefully at one point in time share with you some of that. But I also want to say a thank you to the men uh, who filled in for me while I was away. I'm thankful for the elders and the, the role they, they served while I was away of, of caring for you. Um, they did a wonderful job there. I'm thankful for these men, and I'm thankful for Andrew and Elijah and for Jesse and for Dan who fills in on, and, and teaches on Wednesday night. These men serve this church at just such a high level, and we're so thankful the heart they have for you and the heart they have for the Lord. Uh, and we truly have some tremendous leaders here at Rosebier Baptist Church, and we are absolutely grateful for them. Uh, thankful for the way they had shared with us um, over this last month and how they do on a weekly basis. They don't, that's not just the only time they've served. They serve on a weekly basis in different roles, and I'm thankful for each and every servant and leader, volunteer, and attender here at Rosebier Baptist Church. We're now going to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 4. The theme that we see that is running through this chapter is rest. It's a theme that he refers to 13 times over the chapter 3 and chapter 4. And it is God warning his people, do not miss out on the rest that he offers you as his child. It reminds us a lot of the passage Matthew 11 and verse 28. Can you remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees? But it wasn't just to the Pharisees, it was really anyone who would listen. Anyone who would hear. And Jesus gives this invitation and he says this. He says, come to me, you who are weary, you who are broken, you who are overworked, overburdened, overstressed, and in need of true and lasting rest. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest for your soul. It was an imitation of Jesus to the people of that day and who would hear and listen and obey that he's offering them salvation that he may be Lord and Savior of their lives so that they would experience rest that would last, a peace that would last for eternity. So in a similar way, that's what we see in our passage this morning. So if you will stand to your feet in the honor of reading God's most holy word, We'll begin our time together in verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since a promise, re a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. 
For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that someone must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered in his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Let us pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning with this, your people. And we pray now for your Spirit's help that you would take this passage, that you'll teach us, that you'll train us, that you'll transform us. Lord Jesus, we pray even today that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. God, our souls long for rest, and I pray that we seek that in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This passage, as we walk through the book of Hebrews together in our reading, there is some difficult passages, if you will. (laughs) Some of them you're reading, you're kind of not fully understanding, you kind of get a glimpse of it, and other parts is kind of just hard, uh, and be encouraged, okay, that, that it is some difficult reading at times, but when you really flesh it out, and you really see it for what the author's intention is, it is absolutely glorious. It is absolutely good for your soul, and I think this passage is a picture of that for us this morning. He gives us an idea of how to rest in God. You see, the demonic powers of this world, Satan and all of his demons, want to enslave you to your work in such a way that you miss a rest that God the Father has for you. You see, Scripture teaches us that all work is good. Paid and unpaid work is good. We see that in Scripture in the Garden of Eden, before the fall of man, before sin entered the world. Adam and Eve had jobs and responsibilities to tend and care for the garden. So all work, unpaid and paid, is good, right? That's what we see in Scripture. That's not what we be. That's not what we be. That's what we know to be true. But what God is trying to teach us is. There's more to life than work. He's trying to teach us that life is not about work. Life is about God. Life is all about God and who He is and what He's done on our behalf. So the the author of Hebrews is going to point to a greater rest. An ultimate rest that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That there are so many in our world today that is diligently seeking and searching and longing for. For their soul is at unrest. They are filled with anxiety. They are filled with strife. They are filled with conflict. They are filled with uncertainty. They are filled with depression. They are filled with, uh, with, with just a longing in their soul that this world cannot feel. 
And here the author of Hebrews is pointing to that great rest that only Jesus Christ can fill. And he does so, at first he gives us a couple examples of a lesser rest. He gives us a couple examples of a lesser rest. And the first example he gives us here is the, the lesser rest of the promised land. He takes us all the way back to the, the, the Old Testament when Moses, the wilderness wanderings, right? The people of God are in their wilderness and that God had promised them to give them a promised land that is filled with milk and honey, a land of rest, rest from their slavery, from Egypt. And he's promised them this. But what we learned was a whole generation of God's people missed out on the promised land. God offered them this promised land in order to rest in. It was a temporary rest. It was an earthly rest. But it was a rest that pointed to a greater rest that was to come. But the children of God missed it. This whole generation missed it because they were disobedient. They whined and they grumbled and they complained and ultimately they missed the promised land. We learn in Hebrews, get this, that we so enter God's rest. Like He's teaching us how to enter God's rest and He gives us two ways that we will miss God's rest. The first way that we see in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is unbelief. If you do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you do not believe the truth of Scripture and the promises of God, then you will not rest. Your soul will be weary. Your soul will be longing, searching, and seeking for something more. You will be absolutely restless. You'll be filled with anxiety. You'll be filled with fear. You'll be filled with depression. You'll be filled with loneliness. You'll be free, filled with uncertainty. If you do not believe. But here he goes on further and says, actually, there's a second way to miss the rest that God has to offer. That is, you will be restless if you will not believe. But secondly, not only if you will not believe, but if you will not obey. That's why he's talking about the children of God in the wilderness as they're wandering around because they were disobeying the call of God on their life, and they missed the rest that He was offering. This is a great lesson from God's people for us today. And get this, God forgives sin. God is eager to forgive sin. God wants to forgive sin. But what we learn in this walk of life is that although God forgives us sin, He doesn't always remove the consequences of our sin. That while we're on this walk of life, and we sin before a holy God, and we come before and we repent that He will forgive us of that sin, and He will no longer hold that sin against us, but sometimes the sin in this life have consequences that we have to endure. That's what we see with the people of God as they disobey God about the promised land, and they miss the rest, the blessing that God had offered them in the promised land. He tells us in verse 2, get this, just by hearing and knowing the word, it's not enough. But we must obey. That's what it means when it says that they heard the word, but it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. That's what it means to believe and to obey. That they heard it, they knew the word, they heard the word from God, but they did not obey and they missed the rest that God offered. And so we experience rest that God offers when we hear God's Word and we put it into practice. That is when we live out God's Word in our life. We follow God's will that He has for us in our life. You will never experience more peace in your life than when you're following God's will. You might find comforts when you're out of God's will with maybe money and materials and things, but you will not find peace. Isn't it amazing some of the most restless, unsatisfied people in the world are ones that has all the money in the world? And they always say, well, you can't buy joy. But the truth is, you can't buy peace. That's what they're missing. That's what they're searching for. That's what they're longing for. Because peace does not come with money, with material, with things, with family. It does not come with all those things. Peace is reserved for those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And you cannot purchase it. 
You cannot find it in this world. It is only found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But he's going on further here. He says, even for those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, but if you disobey the word that he has shared, that you will still struggle with restlessness in your soul. That's what was going on with the people of God, the wandering in the wilderness, is they had disobeyed. There were many who believed, but they had disobeyed. And when you disobey, you will find restlessness in your soul. We must hear the word. We must believe the word. And we must obey the word in order to experience the peace, the blessing, and the rest that God has for us here even in this temporary earthly life. Yes, for those who believe and know Jesus as Lord and Savior of the life, yes, there is a rest that is coming. It's an eternal rest. And it is a rest that we find in the promised land that we will enter into with Jesus Christ. But He is also, here on this earth, offers us rest and peace and blessing if we will obey and follow and heed His most holy word. So here the author of Hebrews is saying, don't miss out on the rest and the blessing that God is offering you by disobeying the word. You see that verse 1 there says, Therefore, since a promise remains of internet rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Some of your translation probably says caution, or be careful, or be cautious not to miss it. In the literal Greek, what it actually says is fear. It doesn't say caution. It doesn't say be cautious. It doesn't say be careful. It says fear. Let us fear. Let us be scared that we're going to miss the blessings and the rest that God has offered us here on this earth. So much so, so much so that we want to avoid any appearance that we're disobeying God's word because we want to experience all that he has to offer us as his children. And so he's very stern in his wording here when he's saying, be, and this fear that he's putting in us is, is not an unhealthy fear. It's a good fear. It's a, it's a healthy fear. Much like, just think of like the, when you have a child and you're teaching them and training them. Like we was in L.A. for a couple of weeks. And L.A. is not Paducah. Let me just tell you that. People are mean out there. Do you know that? Got her car broken into stole my owner's manual out of a rental car. I hope they needed it. But anyway, there's a bunch of streets. There's a bunch of cars. There's a bunch of people. There's a bunch of things going on. And we had to be very clear and blunt and, and with Phoenix saying, listen, you've got to hold my hand. Like when we're crossing the road, when we're going across the street, when we're at Disneyland and walking down, you have to hold my hand. Right? Because it's dangerous in the road when you're not holding my hand. Now, that is a healthy fear that we're trying to place in him and teach him. Why? Because we don't want him to get run over. We don't want him to get hurt. We don't want him to get hit by a car. In much the same way, God is trying to put in us a healthy fear of disobeying God's word because he don't want us to get hurt. He don't want us to experience restlessness in our soul. He don't want us to experience the misery and the uncertainty that comes when we disobey God's word. He wants us to walk hand in hand with him because that's the safest place for us to experience in this life. Walking in the way of God. Right? So he tells them, gives them a warning. Don't miss the rest that God has to offer. How do you not miss it? By believing the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying His Holy Word. Getting into His Word and obeying His Word. But then He gives us a second lesser rest. That second lesser rest is a Sabbath rest. And this begins in verse 4. He switches gears here. He's talking about this lesser rest known as a Sabbath rest. Verse 4, he's ultimately pointing to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And, and this is a very interesting uh, verse, that the way it is written. In verse 4 it says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. This is basically the author of Hebrews saying, like, I know he has said this in Scripture somewhere, this is what he said. 
all right? He doesn't come out and say, he's like, I know it said it somewhere. Like, I've had that happen to me so many. So here is the author saying that same exact phrase. He's saying, ultimately, it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Now, as he rests from his work was not because God was tired and that he needed rest. God rested from his work because he was being an example for us and how we're going to need rest. And not only that, but he actually puts in the commands, the fourth command is to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy, right? He commands us to rest. He is the author and the creator of life itself. He knows how we're made. And he's telling us, you have been created to rest. He intends for you to rest one day out of seven. And he's not necessarily saying a specific day, but he's more so saying one out of seven days you are to rest, to reflect, to renew, to restore. That's the whole idea of what we see in Psalm 46 and verse 10 where he says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know, acknowledge that I am God, that I am on the throne. I am in control of all things and all of your worries and all of your fears and all of your problems. I am in control. Be still and acknowledge that I am God. But in the United States of America, we overwork and underproduce Year after year after year. And we think if we work just a little bit more and produce just a little bit more, then it will be enough and then we will rest. But that rest never comes. In 1933, the Senate actually agreed on something. That's probably the last time they agreed on something. They agreed to make the work week in the United States of America 30 hours a week. But then it, the bill passed to the House of Representatives. When it got to the House of Representatives, they disagreed. And they shot it down. And we've been in gridlock ever since. One pastor told me that's politics. You get that from the Greek word poly, meaning people. Ticks, meaning bloodsuckers think there's a lot of truth to that. I don't know. But Americans work more and produce less because we think activity equals productivity. Busyness equals productivity. Working harder and harder and harder equals productivity. But what Scripture teaches us, that is not the case. We even see that in the church world. Like we think we've always got to be doing something, going. But Jesus himself tells us before we are to go and to do, we are to be with him. That's what Jesus says, Matthew 11. The passage I said at the very beginning where Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary, overworked, burdened, and stressed, filled with anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. Come to me. And I will give you rest for your soul. You see, he's called us to come and to connect with him. To trust him. This, this is Jesus Christ saying, I've got this. I've got this. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, trust in the Lord. Right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding or your own logical, rational thinking. But trust in the Lord in all of your ways acknowledging Him and He will direct your paths. That is, He will make your paths straight. That is, He will give you peace. He will give you rest. What that means when we say, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. What that means is the world around you will look at you and say, you're crazy for doing that because it don't make sense there's lots of businesses that are closed on sunday and many people look at them and says that just don't make sense some of the guys here at church close on sunday no neils is closed on sunday 
Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday, the world says that don't make sense. Like Chick-fil-A rents out these big buildings that they're paying for this day. You know, they pay for the Sunday too. It's not just a six-day-a-week rental. It's seven days a week. Many places, Chick-fil-A is actually in football stadiums that they've rented out sections where they sell food at. And how many of you know football games are on what day? Sunday. So, so many people are saying, that makes no sense. Why would you rent out this place if you're going to be closed on the biggest money-making day of the week? To the world, it don't make any sense. But what the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own rational thinking. And he will direct your paths. And he will give you rest. Now, does that mean that we can't work on Sunday? Does that mean we can't open on Sunday? No, I don't think that's what Scripture says. I think he does teach us that we need to have a day a week that's set aside for rest and keeping God forefront of our life and our family. We need to rest, reset, and recharge. But it doesn't necessarily have to be on that specific day. So this is not, I'm not speaking down to anyone who works on Sunday or has to work on Sunday or uh, has something on Sunday, but I am saying that we need rest. Because what the Bible teaches us, when we don't rest, we miss out on something that is God is offering us. We are missing out on a blessing that God is offering us, and at the same time, we are warping our soul. We're missing out on a rest and a blessing that God offers, and at the same very time, we are warping a soul, our soul that God has given us. Think about it this way. Appliances that are being built today have a built-in mechanism that they automatically shut off when they get too hot. Like little space heaters. Back in the day, space heater turned over, nobody's in the room, it'd catch on fire, burn the house down. Now, we're smart enough we built a mechanism inside a space here where if it tips over and it gets a certain temperature, it automatically shuts off. You know God has placed one of those in every one of us? It's called a heart attack. <laughs> if you keep going and going and going and going and going, you will rest. Remember Psalm 23 where he says, He will make you lie down in the green pastures. We might not want to, we might think we're big and tough and we can do it and we can go on and on and on. God will get your attention. God will get your attention in one way or another because we have been created by God and He's told us time and time again, we need rest. To reset, to recharge, to renew. To recognize that we are not in control and that God can control this world just fine while we're sleeping. The rest that we take, the blessing that he offers, get this, it will give us, in the time that we rest, it will give us a greater urgency for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will give us a greater excitement for the work of God. It will give us a greater compassion for those who don't know Jesus. And it will give us a greater expectation for the work of God in the days going forward. It will, in the time of rest, point us forward to a future rest that is coming. And that's what he teaches us in verse 9. This is, he teaches us about the lesser rest only to point to the ultimate rest. Here he gets back to the story of Joshua. He gets... Back to the story of Joshua. And we know this story pretty well. That God's people were wandering in the wilderness. They were complaining, whining. Remember, they didn't have food, and then God provided food, and then they didn't like that kind of food. They got tired of that food. They wanted a different food. And then they didn't have water, and then God gave them water. And then they went on, and they didn't have water again, and they complained, and they whined, saying, we just wish we were back in Egypt in slavery, where we came from. And then one day, while they were complaining about not having water, God tells Moses to speak to the rock, and from the rock, water would flow, and they'd have water. But do you remember what happened? Moses spoke to the rock, but what did he do first? He hit the rock with his rod. He struck the rock with his rod. Now, one time he told him to strike the rock and water would flow, but this time he was trying to teach a specific lesson. He told him, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and water will come. But Moses, being so, I, could, I can sympathize with Moses. 
I mean, if you've got 3 million people whining and complaining for 40 years, he was imagining that rock, one of those people that was complaining, and he was swinging at it. He struck the rock, and water flowed. But what happened? God said, because you did not obey my word, you will not go to the promised land either. That Caleb and Joshua, Joshua will lead the people into the promised land. The big picture is this. Don't miss this. We're almost done. Moses represents the law. Remember it was Moses who received the law on the mount while the golden calf was being prepared on the bottom with Aaron. And he comes back down and saying, where did this golden calf come from? And Aaron's like, I don't know. Like we just threw a bunch of gold in a fire and this calf came out. <laughs> Moses was so mad he breaks the stone of tablets and they go everywhere. It was Moses who received the law from God. Moses represents the law. And so not only his disobedience, but also he's teaching us this, that the law and good works will not allow you to enter the promised land. Knowing the law and good works will not allow you to enter the promised land. You see, Joshua represents grace. You see, in the ancient Hebrew, the word Joshua is the same word as Jesus. So Joshua represents Jesus. Jesus is the greater Joshua that will come and will lead his people. Those who believe and those who obey, he will lead his people to the everlasting resting place that we know as heaven. That he leads the people to the everlasting resting place, the promise of heaven that Jesus will lead us through by his shed blood. Jesus comes as the greater Joshua. Joshua represents Jesus and leads the children of Israel into the promised land so they may enjoy a rest the whole point here is that a greater jesus will come and for all those who will believe and obey they will enter into a greater rest an eternal rest and the ultimate rest in chapter 4 verse 1 the author of hebrews says this you don't want to miss this rest that god offers the only way to fully experience this rest is by faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and obeying His most holy word. It's not about law. It's not about works. It's about grace. And Jesus offers grace to any and all who will call upon His name, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and obey His word. Our rest today that He is offering 